Welcome everyone to The Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Always appreciate you downloading and listening to the show and we're going to make sure you get what you came for today. And I say we because we're going to have another regular joining us in a little bit here. Chris Allen, he's been coming on the show every year for the last few seasons and he does great work for so many different sites. I mean, 4 for 4, Football Guys, Fantasy Life, Establish a Run. He is a very busy man, so we are glad that he's making some time to join us today. But before we get him in here, I just want to remind everybody about some of the content that's already gone up this week. So on Tuesday's show, I went over the five moves that could save your fantasy season. And really, it's just moves that could maximize your chances of winning over the next month. It has a slight lean towards teams with a losing record, but it's stuff that everybody can do. So give that one a listen. We already have the early edition of my rankings up for week five. They went up on Tuesday night. The next update will be published on Thursday afternoon. And then the always popular trade value charts went up on Wednesday morning. And those take a lot longer to do in the first month or so than they do later in the year when things are a little more figured out because we have a lot of things changing right now, a lot of things that we have to sort through. A few of them we're going to talk about a little bit later. I mean, one that I know I kept having to update this week at every position was that Buccaneers offense because now they're healthy. They have all the weapons back. They looked a lot closer to last year's numbers in terms of fantasy production than they did over those first few weeks when so many guys were hurt. And I talked about them as buy lows on multiple shows the last few weeks. So hopefully you made a move to go out and get some of them. Either way, I got good news for you. We're going to highlight three more players that you could get that you could try to buy low on this week as we try to take your roster and frank it up just like our friends at Frank's Red Hot. And the first name on my list this week, it's actually an entire offense, so I'm kind of cheating here, but it's the Jaguars. So James Robinson and Christian Kirk and Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and even Zay Jones we could throw in there. I think this is a perfect situation for buy low offers because you have a team that was impressing in the first few weeks. Maybe a lot of people think they were overachieving and then they run into this buzzsaw that is the Eagles defense. It's also a really rainy game. You have that problem as well working against them and and they lose, and the numbers didn't look great. But I promise you, what we saw from Jacksonville in those first three weeks, that is a lot closer to what we're going to see from them the rest of the season. So you have a very small window here to take advantage of that because of the bad weather in Philly and because of that great Eagles team that they had to play. Because the Jags now are going to play the Texans this week. And Houston has given up the most fantasy points to running backs right now. Should be plenty of points scored on the Jaguars' side in this one. And their schedule is pretty favorable the rest of the season too. So James Robinson should be valued as a high-end RB2 in fantasy. Etienne as an RB3 flex with a ton of upside if something happens to Robinson during the year. Kirk is a quality high-volume wide receiver too. Lawrence, he could emerge as a low-end quarterback one for fantasy, and part of that is because a lot of the quarterbacks in that range They've been struggling a little bit this year, so it wouldn't be shocking to see somebody like Lawrence sneak up into that area for fantasy. And then Zay Jones, he was hurt this week, but when he comes back, he's a really intriguing wide receiver three flex in this offense. The Jags are a good football team. That's what it really comes down to. They just happened to get beat by an even better team last Sunday. So capitalize on the down week. Go add some Jaguars to your lineup by making trades. Next up, I'm going to use an injury situation to find some value here. James Conner. He's had knee and ankle issues. They've kind of limited his production so far this season. The Cardinals offense also hasn't been fired on all cylinders, and they've had some really tough matchups too in the opening month. And Connor, he's just the RB33 in average fantasy points per game. Plus, he's got a tough matchup with the Eagles this week, so I'm not really hopeful for a big performance in that one. 
But after this week, that's what we're looking at. Things are going to start to turn around for him and for this whole offense. The schedule improves. They have two matchups against the Seahawks in week six and week nine. So those are really easy ones. He'll continue to get healthier the further he's removed from those early season injuries. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to come back in week seven. And Hopkins' presence should help lift this entire attack. So now is the time to make a move for Connor. Or you wait until just after this Eagles game and you try to get him a little cheaper. But that might be pushing it. Because I think he's a player you're going to be really happy to have on your team from week six on a strong RB2 with RB1 upside for the second half of the season. And then the last name that I want to talk about, it's probably a long shot that you're going to be able to pry him away from his manager, but it's Mark Andrews. He is one of just two elite tight ends in the fantasy world. Him and Travis Kelsey are leaps and bounds ahead of all the other players at their position when it comes to fantasy production. So he is going to be tough to acquire, but he's coming off his worst game of the year by far. Just two catches, 15 yards against the Bills. That is not going to happen again. So if the bad week put any seed of doubt in his manager's mind, you have to pounce right now because Andrews gives you such a massive advantage in your lineup. He's basically a wide receiver one at the tight end position. And now the Ravens top receiver, Rashad Bateman, he's dealing with a foot injury. He might miss this week. So make a big offer, spend up to see if you can get Andrews this week because he won't have another down game like this again. Just to recap, Andrews, the Jaguar skill position players, and James Conner. Those are the three trade targets that I'm recommending this week as you try to take your roster and frank it up just like our friends at Frank's Red Hot. All right, let's bring our guest in here, Chris Allen, who's on Twitter, at ChrisAllenFFWX. And like I said off the top, he does great work for 4 for 4 and Football Guys and Fantasy Life and Establish the Run. Basically, if you've heard of a fantasy site, Chris probably has some affiliation to them. So, Chris, welcome back to the show, man. I'm always excited to have you back, and I can't wait to go over some of the big fantasy questions entering week five here, but tell me how things are going with you, dude. I mean, how does it work when you're putting up content on so many well-known fantasy sites? Clearly, you are in high demand in the fantasy community. Really, it's just more about being able to work with some of the like the biggest names in in the fantasy sports industry. I mean, I, I'm definitely a guy that kind of finds himself in uh, unable to say no when like. And what are you supposed to say? <laughs> I mean, when Evan Silva and Adam Levantan are like knocking on your door asking you to come and work for him, what do you supposed to say? No. Sigmund Bloom, Joe Bryant, like they come and they say, "Hey, man, do you want to come and do some freelance work?" What do you supposed to say? No. Like it's just it's so difficult for me to not want to be a part of these organizations, not be affiliated uh, with these groups of people that are just the, the the mainstays of the industry like what i quote unquote grew up with like grew up on listening to and like consuming their content like when i first started playing fantasy sports for sure it's just it really is just just an honor for me to be affiliated with him like i I know my wife like tries to tell me like, oh, you're famous now and all this other thing. No, it's just it's really I find myself very honored and very blessed to be able to work with such big names in the in the industry and such wonderful people like on the back end of it as well. Well, and we're lucky to have you with us today. A little behind the scenes for everybody. Chris had some internet issues. It would have been very easy for him while his internet was down for a couple hours to just say he couldn't make the show today, but continued to keep checking in. And eventually we were able to get it recorded here. So I thank him for that. And there's a lot of places that we could start here, but let's begin with the Thursday nighter. We got Javante Williams out for the season with a torn ACL. Melvin Gordon struggling this year, especially with ball security. I mean, four fumbles in four games is awful. Plus, he's a little banged up, right? He has the neck injury. I know entering this game, he's going to be off the injury report, so hopefully he's fully healthy here. We also have Mike Boone there. Great name. Love Mike Boone. Always on the end of my dynasty benches. I've been rooting for Mike Boone for a long time, and he actually played more than Gordon last week 
after Williams left the game. And whether that was because of the neck injury, whether that was because the coaches were frustrated with the fumbles, who knows? But Nathaniel Hackett came out this week and he said that Gordon's going to handle the bulk of the touches, that Boone's going to sprinkle in. But then they also added Latavius Murray off the Saints practice squad. And Murray just had 12 touches for 65 yards and a touchdown last week for the Saints. So he showed he's still capable of being a reliable ball carrier for them. And I mean, Murray is particularly good at holding onto the ball too. He doesn't really fumble. So maybe that could factor in and be some insurance in case Gordon continues to have problems with that. It's just, it's kind of a mess, I think, now that Javante's out of the picture there. But there could be some fantasy value here, Chris. So how are you approaching that Broncos backfield with the, the new and really unexpected RB trio that they have? If anything, uh, right now, it's sounding like with all of the pessimism, like towards Melvin Gordon, like you mentioned, the, the multiple fumbles, at least like one per game, <clears throat> if I'm remembering correctly, to the point where he's walking off like during a, during a presser because it's just so emotional for him. I can understand the frustration. And so with most of the negativity towards Gordon, it seems like everybody's excited about Mike Boone. Everybody's excited about uh, Latavius Murray. If I'm the person in the league that wasn't able to get in on the Mike Boone or Latavius Murray sweepstakes in waivers, I'd send an offer to the guy that has Melvin Gordon at this point. I mean, what's the optimism for them to continue rostering outside of the fact that they're going to be the one to fill in, let's say, the void left uh, by Javante Williams? But at the same time, shouldn't he be the one that's projected for at least the first crack at carrying the, the majority of the workload for the Broncos moving forward? And also, if we're looking at this, the, the entire offense as a whole at this point, I mean, Melvin Gordon is not like while he is a problem, he is not at the, the, the top of the list. I mean, it is a it is a luxury. I would not say a luxury, but I would say it's it's probably the, the least of their concerns at this point, considering the state of their offense. I mean, look at like, look at how their their uh, their efficiency and like the rest of their offensive metrics at this point. I mean, back end of the league in terms of EPA per play, the amount of drives that they've been able to actually score, like the red zone efficiency uh, is 23rd, 24th in the league. I mean, even from a rushing success rate, and that was when Javante Williams was still a part of the league. It was him and Melvin Gordon, like splitting the league. Their rushing success rate was 23rd in the league. So it's just so many systemic problems exist within the Broncos that Melvin Gordon is essentially just the thing that we see. Like we, we like it's a visceral reaction because we watch Melvin Gordon fumble. We can point to that thing and say like, this is what's wrong with the offense. But at the same time, I mean, Russell Wilson's not being able to hit some of those crossers off the middle of the field because maybe he's not tall enough. Maybe he's just not in sync with the rest of his receivers. I mean, there are other problems that exist within the offense. So if Gordon is the guy that's going to be like essentially be their fall guy at this point, uh, I might as well just try and put in an offer and scoop him up and get the one that's going to get most of the touches. So my approach is I'm trying to get Gordon where I can. And then at the same time, uh, since the Broncos coaching staff isn't as, I guess, uh, they're not they're not really happy like with Mike Boone in terms <laughs> of his uh, his past pro ability, which is something that they need to do in order to prop up their two hundred and fifty million dollar quarterback. So while Boone might sprinkle in, Latavius Murray might be the guy that they call in on short yardage situations. I mean, you can already kind of see where their roles are at. So if you we know what their roles are going to be again, Gordon for me. Grab Boone if I can, and Latavius Murray probably has that short yardage appeal in in those types of cases as well. And I think that Melvin Gordon has to be the one projected for the most touches, like you said, this week. I think the concern with him is going to be how short is that leash going to be if he does have another issue, right? If there is an injury, if there is another fumble, 
how quick could the coaching staff throw him on the bench? I know you mentioned Sigmund Bloom earlier. Sigmund tweeted something earlier that Cecil Lammy, who covers the Broncos, you know, a long time ties with the football guys, uh, that Cecil actually said that he wouldn't have been surprised if Melvin Gordon got outright released if Javante didn't get hurt. Like, that's how upset the coaching staff was with Melvin Gordon after that game. So that sort of discontent is still there. If we see something kind of cause that to bubble to the surface again, then I think that's why you go and they got a Latavius Murray to potentially step in. But Gordon's definitely going to get his shot here and hopefully he can play like we've seen him play in the past and hopefully he can handle that job and maybe turn into uh, another RB2 for fantasy. I think we could always use more of those. It's uh, definitely the cliff at running back. It falls off pretty fast when you get outside of the top 15, top 20 there. Uh, Let's talk about the other side of that Thursday night game because we have Jonathan Taylor banged up in that one. Fortunately, not out for the season like Javante, but Taylor's dealing with this ankle injury. Doesn't sound like it's a high ankle sprain. If it is, it's on the milder side, but he's already been ruled out for Thursday night. So what I want to know, Chris, is are you worried about Taylor, obviously not for this week, but moving forward potentially? Because it's not just the ankle. It's also the fact that he's the RB22 in fantasy points per game this year, and he's been kind of untailor like for at least two of the last three games. Are there any concerns there? And then obviously it came down before we were recording that he's not going to play on Thursday night. So then I'm also curious how you're going to be ranking Naheem Hines or even potentially Philip Lindsay, who we think is going to be called up for this game now that Taylor's out. So with Jonathan Taylor, I do think that it's been a tale of not even two halves, but I would say like a quarter and three quarters of a season. Uh, There's a stat from Mike Clay that went out yesterday, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that through the first four games of the 2021 season, uh, Jonathan Taylor ranked 22nd or no 20th in the league, if I'm remembering correctly, in PPR scoring. Then you wound up have wound up going on to have like one of the better RB one seasons that we can remember in some time. And right now, Jonathan Taylor sits at a very similar spot, but it's just that it doesn't feel the same. I mean, I think last season there was at least some level of optimism like regarding the team because we came into the season, we came into the 2021 season with I guess lesser expectations, right? It was Carson Wentz who was banged up in the preseason with the ankle sprains and something along those lines and we didn't really know what to expect out of that team. But there was some stability added to the team, like in the offseason, right? They 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 swore up and down that their offensive line issues were going to be fixed. I mean, the Michael Pittman was supposed to be the breakout candidate of the year. I mean, Paris Campbell was looking healthy. We saw flashes of Alec Pierce uh, and Ashton Doolin, like in the in the offseason, in the preseason as well. So just all of these other things. I mean, of course, and you bring in a guy like Matt Ryan, I mean, franchise quarterback, former MVP, like all these other things. I mean, you know, throw the 20 to 3 thing aside. But I mean, all these positive things like regarding this team, and then we see this, right? What tying the Texans? I mean, completely dog walked. I mean, they get like yeah. uh, by the by the Jags in week two. I mean, all these all these negative things like happening with them, and so of course that just compounds like our our qualitative analysis of the team. But I do think the the biggest concern that I do have at this point, like regarding uh, regarding the offense moving forward and Jonathan Taylor moving forward, is like that personnel is just not where it was at a couple of years ago. I mean, they 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 brought in, they curated, and then developed like all of these like the talent along this offensive line, which is what boosted Jonathan Taylor to have the the season that he that he had last last year. But the quality isn't the same anymore, and they don't have the developmental talent behind it. Like, who's coming in behind Quentin Nelson, like, when he gets injured? I mean, any of the other, like, uh, starting linemen, like, behind there, they've got third, fourth, fifth-round rookies or guys that they've, like, plucked off of other uh, other teams' practice squads in order to kind of string together 
this personnel that's supposed to be protecting a pocket quarterback in Matt Ryan, but also boosting or elevating the talent of one Jonathan Taylor. And right now, I mean, their pass, uh, their run block win rate, according to ESPN, is towards the back end of the league. I mean, that's my that's my biggest concern is that unless this offensive line gels like we expected it to and what Chris Ballard uh, and Frank Wright like swore up and down throughout the offseason, this is going to be put in place like for their statuesque type quarterback that they were going to bring in. I mean, if that doesn't change, then the rest of the season goes along with it. I mean, we can't expect to see the same push for Jonathan Taylor moving forward. We can't expect to see the same types of passing concepts that you would want to use with a statue-type quarterback in Matt Ryan unless there's he's getting that push up front, unless he's getting that protection up front to actually be able to go through his reads. Because if we're looking at a well, Michael Pittman, who is close to uh, like a wide receiver one or a true X receiver as you would want to try and get, but then after him, behind him, uh, what Paris Campbell, who's like traditionally played in the slot. We've got Alec Pierce, who's, you know, who's looked good in his first four weeks, but he's still a rookie. I mean, what can we really expect like for this team? So I would say that while I don't have any concerns with Jonathan Taylor, the player, like the person, like the running back, I don't have any concerns about him, but his situation, the offensive line and the passing and the passing production and like, uh, and the offense around him, that does concern me, but I do think that they can get things moving in the right direction just has to give that it might take a few more weeks. Yeah. And let's hope that that ankle heals up well too, because that's the kind of injury that could linger for a little while, especially with a running back and could sap your efficiency potentially. And maybe we see that even when he does get back in the lineup, he's not quite the, the same Jonathan Taylor that we know on top of all the issues that you just outlined with that offense. We got more running back injuries. We've got to talk about Cordero Patterson. He entered last week with the knee injury. He tried to play through it. And then after the game, we learned on Monday, he underwent surgery. He's out for four weeks. He's on IR. So now that's going to open the door here for rookie Tyler Algier, who was pretty impressive last week. I mean, 11 touches, 104 yards from scrimmage. He had Caleb Huntley. He could work in a little more this week, too. He went over 50 yards. He found the end zone last week. And then we also have Damian Williams potentially factoring in next week because he could get activated off IR. He got hurt in the opener. He's been out, but maybe we'll see him back. And when you go back to that opening game before he got hurt, he played seven of the Falcons' first 10 snaps. He was out there more than Cordero Patterson was on the offense. So it's possible he could have, or at least they were planning on giving him a bigger part of this offense than people realized before the injury derailed that. But are you anticipating any of these guys sort of emerging from that Falcons backfield while CPAT's out? Because, I mean, say what you want about Atlanta's offense. Their rushing attack has been solid this year. It's kind of surprising that it's been as good as it's been. So will any of these backups, do you think, turn into fantasy starters over the next month? My hope is that that's definitely possible because, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Atlanta right now, eighth in rushing success rate. Uh, that's across the, across the entire league. And, I mean, Cordero Powers is looking good. Damian Williams is looking good before his injury. But I guess if there was one guy that I wanted to try and uh, get a piece of. And this this might be kind of out there because I know that everybody looks at Tyler Algier. I mean, you know, stocky guy, if you wanted to try and like compare the uh, the personnel for Arthur Smith now down in Atlanta or versus like what he had, like just the big body types of guys that, that they had like back in Tennessee, you could say that, well, he's trying to just create like the Titans in the South. And like, you know, Algier is supposed to be his Derrick Henry replacement, something along those lines. But if you want a team or if you want a player that can create explosives, and that they wanted, they need to be able to do that in the running game. And that's what CPAP was doing before he went down. I mean, watching that game bag, I mean, I'll be honest with you, that Caleb Huntley kid, like it looked like he had some juice, like to his step, like once he got on, yeah. got out onto the field. I mean, it was it was very 
Uh, but there was a stark contrast between the carries that he had versus the ones that Tyler Algier had. And actually, once Cordero Patterson was out of the picture, like this is uh, towards, I think it was at the middle of the third quarter, if I remember correctly, where Cordero Patterson was essentially phased out. I don't think he had like more than like one carry for the rest of the game. And this was in a game where they were trying to keep up with like the Browns. They wound up winning the game, which is good for them. But while Cordero Patterson was out, it was Huntley that carried the load. He actually outcarried Tyler Algier like a 10 to 7. Algier, like while their total touch count was the same, I think they both had like 10 carries out the entire game. But in that section, like where Cordero Patterson was out, Huntley actually had like three more carries than him. Uh, on top of that, Caleb Huntley, 80% success rate as a rusher. So that's the rate of positive EPA uh, uh, rushes that you have. Huntley was at 80%. Algier was down at 42.9%. Like Huntley also had all the red zone carries as well, all the carries in the two-minute drill. So I think the only, I guess the thing that is working in Algier's favor is the fact that he was the one out there running routes. And if we're in, we're talking about PPR scoring, we're talking about uh, just creating fantasy production. I mean, that's the type of work that you would want to see. And so with Algier, I mean, I think just last week he out there, he was running, he ran about like eight routes and that was about half on about half of uh, Marcus Merida's dropbacks, which is fine. I mean, we didn't actually see Huntley run any. So I would say that the PPR appeal probably leans towards Algier, but I would not be surprised at all if Huntley winds up being the one to kind of at least steal the show as it were, like just given the juice that he showed like on the field on Sunday. And you know you're in a deep dynasty league. I'm in a 14-teamer. It's 34-man rosters, I believe it is. Cool. And you yeah. know you're in a deep league when someone maxes out their budget in order to get Huntley off the waiver oh, wire. Oh, yeah, because that's good. I love There that. is just yeah. nothing on the waiver wire. And, yeah, there was a lot of bids on Huntley, and someone went uh, full bore, the full $200 budget that we have for uh, for free agents in that love league. Yeah, it was very surprising to see. The other thing that I'll say about that is they face the the Buccaneers run defense this week. So that could make it a little harder on Algier or Huntley to potentially break out or earn a larger role moving forward. And then maybe that could open the door for Damian Williams to come back. And sort of Mm -hmm. like you're saying, Damian Williams, maybe he would take on the passing down work. If Huntley did look better than Algier, maybe you see something where Damian Williams and Huntley end up being that backfield. It could almost go in in any direction. So it's not one where I felt super strong about any of these guys. Mm -hmm. You just sprinkle a little bit kind of on all of them and you see if somebody breaks out. And that's why I was hoping that you were going to give us a clear answer. And it really sounds like you think that person was right for bidding uh, the full 200 on Huntley last night. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think to your point, though, I mean, there is there is some uh, obscurity like to that entire backfield at this point, right? Because like, like you said, I mean, CPAT's coming back at some point, like whether it's four or six weeks or whatever. I mean, you do expect Cordero Patterson to come back. I mean, Damian Williams might be worked into the fold. I mean, look at, listen to their, their next four matchups. I mean, you, you brought up the Bucks who Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of all people, like just had like one of the better rushing performances on Sunday night. But over the next like four games, they got Tampa Bay, they got San Francisco, Cincinnati, and Carolina. The next month of the fantasy season, they are facing some of the, at least on paper, toughest rushing defenses like in the league. So while I think they probably want it, if it's Algier kind of just running into that defensive front and not catching and not picking up any yards or something like that, again, Huntley with his juice... I mean, that that might be the type of back that can create enough explosives to at least be relevant in fantasy. Just the way that he looked on Sunday, I do think that I would lean more towards Huntley versus the guy that's going to need like 
I don't know, 10, 12, 15 carries in order to really put up the numbers that would be useful to us from a fantasy standpoint. All right. Another big change that happened in week four wasn't all running back injuries, even though that's pretty much all we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also saw the Steelers make a change at quarterback. Finally, they make that change and they go with Kenny Pickett. And it wasn't a perfect debut for him. I mean, there were some bright spots. He also had some bad outcomes. The three interceptions, they weren't all his fault. I mean, he had one tipped by a receiver. He had another one that was like a Hail Mary. So, I mean, let's face it. Anything is pretty much better than what Trubisky was giving him at this point. So why not look for that spark? Why not throw the rookie out there? I know all the fans were calling for it. I think everybody in the fantasy industry wanted to see it. So I was happy that it happened. I want to know, Chris, if you like the move. Do you think that we're potentially going to see Pickett here maybe revive the Steelers passing attack. And it's funny that you were just talking about the schedule. We were going over the schedule for the Falcons coming up and their rushing attack because man, Pickett's schedule here over the next stretch. It is very difficult to throw the rookie out there and he has to take on the bills this week, but it doesn't get much easier after that over the next month or so. And then I also want to know too, with him starting, I mean, we saw George Pickens last week really blow up, have his biggest game so far over a hundred yards could he be the one that benefits the most? Or do you think somebody else potentially could do uh, even better now that Pickett's going to be under center? Well, I think it's just going to continue to be a mix between uh, Pickens and Deontay Johnson, uh, just given the opportunity. I mean, Deontay Johnson also being able to work both as a uh, wide receiver on the perimeter, but also in the slot as well. And I just think Pickett offers like the the most upside or puts the Steelers in the best position to win. And uh, Justin, you brought up like the three interceptions, but like his interceptions, like funnily enough, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, Kenny Pickett, he had zero turnover worthy plays like in his debut on Sunday. He's rated for zero like turnover worthy plays. I mean, the interceptions, like no, like none of that. I mean, because each of them, if you go back and watch them, I mean, there's a case to be made that while... Pickett, let's say the decision for him to throw it in the like or to target that particular receiver, given the coverage and all that. I mean, we can talk about that, but the ball placement, the tipped pass, I mean, just the circumstances that resulted in the pick itself. I mean, that's where it's like, I don't blame Pickett on that on that standpoint, because on the uh, the first one his very first pass that everybody freaked out about very first attempt, you know, Kenny Pickett throws the interception, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it looked like to me that Chase Claypool comes back, fights for that ball just a little bit more. I mean, you know, that could be a long completion. So it's just things like that. But overall, if you look at Kenny Pickett in just the one half of play and you compare that to Mitchell Trubisky's three full starts, I mean, Kenny Pickett, 9.9 air yards per attempt. That's more than Mitchell Trubisky's. The Steelers, their offensive yards per drive as compared to Mitchell Trubisky's, 36.2 with Kenny Kenny Pickett, 24.5 with Mitchell Trubisky. I mean... Kenny Pickett had the highest, like one of the highest adjusted completion percentages, like for any quarterback on Sunday, Mitchell Trubisky through three weeks, negative 4.1% completion percentage over expected. So it's just success rate, efficiency, like whatever you want to say about Kenny Pickett as compared to Trubisky, the rookie's better. I mean, flat out, I mean, writ large, I mean, whatever, I mean, period, point blank, end of story. So if he's capable of being the better passer, and now he's also unlocking, or at least, I mean, seemingly unlocking, like one of the better rookies, or better wide receivers, uh, like out of this rookie class. Then, I mean, Mike Tomlin has, has, he has no choice. He should be starting Kenny Pickett at this point. And so while I'm happy for the switch, 
And honestly, if we're talking about quarterback switches, Atlanta should probably be doing the exact same thing with Desmond Ritter, but that's a whole other conversation. I know when I did but, my my trade value charts for the rest of the season, which they, is like they, the rest of the season rankings, I moved Mariota down because from what we've seen, probably, Ritter is coming for sure. Yeah, probably. But I mean, we'll talk about that later. But <laughs> I mean, just overall, I, I do think that if he offers him the best chance to win... And also, we know that for first-round quarterbacks, because they still have the fifth-year option tied to the contract, you need to evaluate them now. You have to. I mean, you can say what you want about, you know, Malik in Tennessee, and then even Ritter, like, to some extent, like, the team has the luxury of time because they don't have to make that decision. But if you have a first, like, a quarterback with a first-round rookie contract, like, hanging over his head, you need to evaluate them. So get the boy out there and get his reps. And we saw on Sunday that he's capable of already exceeding the talent of the quarterback that they had on their roster. So what, like, what is there to gain by putting him back on the bench? So yeah, 100%, I'm with you. They should have picked it out on the field on Sunday. Yeah, and it's not going to take much. You don't need him to be a, a superstar, and I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar. But if he can give you average quarterback play, all of a sudden with the weapons that you have in that offense... It's going to be good for the Steelers, and it's going to be good for fantasy, too. I have some concerns about Claypool. I don't know that Claypool is going to come through for anybody in fantasy this year because I think Pickens is passing him, and I think Pickens is going to move into the number two role there. And Deontay Johnson is so talented. I think he's so underrated. Like, Mm -hmm. if that guy had a a legit quarterback with him, I think we'd be talking about him as a top 10 or maybe even a top five guy. Um, Yeah, it'll be nice to see this offense with hopefully average quarterback play, but going up against the Bills this week is going to be a a really tough task. It's a tough ask, yeah. It's a very tough one for any quarterback. I mean, we saw Lamar even have, uh, you know, his worst game of the season last week. So to have a rookie quarterback go out there and make his first start, it's going to be really tough for him. Mm -hmm. Is there another offense? I mean, other than the Steelers, who I think we're both a little hopeful for, for Pickett now starting there and what they could do. Is there another offense that you're buying shares of right now because you think the best is yet to come for them? My hope is that things are turning around or things will start to get a little bit better, like for the Green Bay Packers. I'm concerned. I am concerned, though, that because during the offseason, we were sold on this bill of goods that, oh, yeah, like, well, you know, we lost Devontae Adams. Everything's OK. You know, everything's going to be fine. Everything's OK. We lost like the best receiver in the league, but we can figure this out. <laughs> right. We've got we've got Christian Watson. We've got Romeo Dubs. We even brought in Sammy Watkins. And we've got these two explosive running backs. So we can create explosives through the offense, like through the running game. And so the offense is good. And on top of that, we've spent all these picks and all this money on this elite defense. I mean, they've got Jair Alexander. They've got they got uh, Clay Walker, like up at the Clay Walker up at the front. I mean, they've they I mean, they've got all of these dudes up front that that should be able to, I mean stop any running game, diminish any passing game. I mean, so if they've got this top-end defense along with an offense that can at least be average, I mean, NFC North, baby, like that we got this locked up. And now look at them. I mean, it just looks like, well, one, Rodgers looks like he doesn't even care. I mean, they're struggling to they're struggling to run the ball. I mean, they're struggling to create explosives to the passing game. I mean, it looks like, again, this is an offense still trying to figure itself out. But we did see at least some good connections between him and Christian Watson on Sunday. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, or not Aaron Rodgers, but uh, uh, but AJ Dillon uh, and Aaron Jones have still found a way to at least coexist, like from a fantasy standpoint. So I mean, all those key pieces are there. I mean, they're still towards the back end of the league, or like at the average in terms of rushing success rate, rushing EPA, and all that. But the hope is that they should continue to be able to throw downfield. I mean, that's one of the like one of the key pieces of that offense when Devontae Adams was there. And so I'm looking at guys like Robert Tunyon, 
who's starting to pick up a bit more and more like each week coming off of the uh, the ACL injury that he had last year, started to have like a larger route participation, more targets per game. We saw him actually get into the box uh, just this past weekend. So if this is an offense, I mean, that can start to come together and start to actually, you know, put together at least enough of an offense that's efficient and also like marching down the field and scoring, which is the thing that we need for fantasy. And then at the very least, I mean, that's an offense that I do want pieces of because at the very least it's one that's pieces of, uh, it's an offense I can get pieces of on a fairly cheap price. I'm with you on that. When I talked about the Packers yesterday, I mentioned some teams that are going to have better upcoming schedules for the next, you know, four or five weeks or so. And the Packers are on that list. And then on top of that, like you said, them potentially starting to figure out what this offense is and where they can win and what they're going to get out of some of those rookie receivers. You know, I think it's going to be a lot better for the Packers moving forward. So I agree with you on that one. What about if we reverse that question? Is there an offense that you think might be fool's gold? Maybe people shouldn't be trusting them for fantasy moving forward? I just got a question for all the fantasy managers out there. Why is Devin DuVernay rostered in 61% of Yahoo leagues? What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, outside outside of the main dudes, like in the Baltimore Ravens offense, I mean, why are, why are we, I mean, I think like now people have figured out that Isaiah likely is likely, haha, like not going to be a thing for fantasy in 2022. Like after all of the preseason hype and all the other stuff. I mean, it really is just Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. I mean, that's all it is for fantasy. And that's really like the only the only pieces of the offense that they can that that the that Harbaugh and Greg Roman continually rely on in order to go out and do good things. And that's probably what they tell them, like for the game planning. It's like, well, we don't have a plan. Just Lamar go out and do good things because that that's how they that seemingly it's how they approach like their game planning. I mean, because they wind up condensing a lot of their playbook in these plays where it's just asking Lamar to just go and be MVP Lamar, which is fine. If you're if you're one of the people that's rostering Lamar and that's cool and all, but outside of that, we don't have a like a, even a tertiary option that we have the capability of starting on a weekly basis. Nobody wanted to, nobody wants to continue starting Devin Duvernay because he was living off of touchdowns for the first like four weeks of the season, and even when they had a chance, just on Sunday, like I, I granted it was in the pouring rain, and I, I understand like the weather effects of that particular game. But he had Devin Duvernay on that touchdown route and chose to go elsewhere. So it's like even the trust or the chemistry, like him being in sync with his receivers outside of Mark Andrews is clearly on display like right there in the moment that they needed it the most. So outside of Lamar and Mark Andrews, and you can probably talk me into J.K. Dobbins because he actually looked decent like in his return or second week in his return. I mean, those are the guys that I want from that from that Ravens offense. Outside of that, there's really is, there's no reason for you to continue investing in this offense. There's no reason for you to even think about, uh, I mean, even Rashad Bateman. I mean, they're using him as a gadgety type guy, a clear out type guy, and not using him like to the full extent of what he's capable of doing, like within the offense as a receiver running like multiple routes, like at the short, intermediate and deep parts of the field. So unless you're... Uh, you have some sort of crystal ball, unless you have some sort of inclination that things are going to change for this offense. And Greg Roman knows how to scheme up continued looks for one Rashad Bateman or any of the other receivers for that matter, James Prochet, insert name here. I don't want any other parts of the offense other than those two guys, really. It's Lamar and Mark Andrews. And maybe you can talk me to JK Dobbins. Outside of that, I can't trust anybody. 
I think I have a little more hope for that offense than you do. I still have some hope for Bateman, though. I really don't like the sound of a foot injury for a receiver. And they're saying mid-foot injury, and they're talking like he's day-to-day. I'm really worried that he's not going to play this week, and Mm -hmm. we'll see. Those kind of foot injuries for receivers, they can linger, they can get worse, they can cost guys time and and efficiency. So that is definitely scary for somebody that's not a, a proven guy at all yet just somebody that we're really hopeful for. Um, I think what's going to help this offense, one, like you said, J.K. Dobbins coming back and maybe becoming more himself again and finding his form, but they need that offensive line to get healthy. They need Ronnie Stanley out there. They need to bring that together. That is a huge part of this offense that really they've been trying to just get by without so far. So, And the matchups have been tough a couple of those weeks. Like going against the Bills, I think everybody's going to look bad against that Bills defense. So Mm -hmm. I do have a little more hope maybe than than what you were laying out there. But I get the idea that... You know, there are only a couple of pieces in that offense that you can really trust for fantasy. And outside of that, we're kind of just grabbing at straws and hoping. Yeah, because like until something like there needs to be some sort of like conceptual, philosophical or schematic shift to that offense. Because like I said, if Bateman is the one like running these clear out routes or like doing the gadgety type of things in order to allow uh, Lamar to look for like Mark Andrews or even like scheme open Dever Duvernay, which seems like it should be something in reverse. I mean, they need to bring in some other guys. Like, why isn't, like, I don't know, like, what's going on behind the scenes, but why isn't Will Fuller, like, being a part, like, you know, being brought in, like, for a workout in order to be that guy, like, on the outside and them scheming up touches for Rashad Bateman? I mean, shoot, Odell Beckham should be, uh, they should be just backing up the Brinks truck, like, for him in order to come to that offense as well, because they, they need other pass catchers in order to open up this passing offense. But until then, I mean, Having to rely on Devin Duvernay and James Prochet as your as your like even second and third options is just not the place that you want to be. Yeah, I think the Will Fuller thing. I think that's got to be more on Fuller at this point. Like the, the fact so. that we didn't hear much about him like all off season. I think that's got to just be more on him for Beckham though. It's gonna be so interesting to see where he lands because I don't know that he's gonna do much for fantasy because I think the fantasy season might be winding down or over by the time he gets on a roster. But he is just gonna pick the team that he thinks has the best shot to win the Super Bowl. And a lot of these teams, the the Bills, I mean, we're seeing Von Miller, who's friends with him, continuously talk about how he's trying to recruit him and get him to Buffalo. I 100% agree that a team like the Ravens that has Super Bowl expectations, man, you add a piece like that in December and you try to get him ready for the playoffs and, you know, he can become that weapon for you on the outside and maybe help unlock Rashad Bateman even, right? If you have Mm -hmm. somebody else out there in the receiving core, and help everybody there. I would be really exciting to see him go there. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. One that, like I said, I don't think it's going to impact fantasy leagues much this year. You could stash him away in your IR if you want, but I think it's going to be really interesting in terms of, of playoff teams and how he could affect that. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's where almost like the same thing that the Rams did last year, because when they add Odell Beckham to the roster, it was like November-ish like time frame. And then we see like we see what happened to them and how it boosted their offense, having another guy available for Stafford like on those backside digs. I mean, they need something to open up that passing offense. So until that happens, I'm just I'll continue to be well, I'll be pessimistic about the about the Ravens because I'm a Bengals fan. But otherwise, <laughs> I mean, just for fantasy purposes alone, it's just hard for me to get at least excited about Lamar, even though like I want him to I want him to ascend. I want him to be like another MVP candidate, but it's hard to see that right now. As a Bills fan, I'm worried that Beckham's gonna just end up on the Chiefs or something like that. Oh yeah. You know, that, that would be the that would be the worst case scenario in my mind. Uh, all right, we got to get you out of here. Uh, we finish every show off now with the rapid fire section. Although, I mean, some rapid fire sections are, are quicker than others, as we've learned in recent weeks. But uh, Chris, 
the idea here is just we'll get through these a little bit faster, let's say, than some of those other questions that we were talking about where we went a little more in depth. So you can give some context if you want, but Mm -hmm. we won't spend too much time on each of these. So uh, let's start off here with if you were drafting today, who would your top five picks be? Uh, In no particular order off the top of my head. Uh, Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, pick one of Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, and then pick one of Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. Very, no backs. very, very interesting that you would pass completely on the running backs there. That is, uh, yeah, that's one that I feel like we could spend a lot more time on, but I want to keep moving here. Uh, if you had to, which Giants wide receiver would you most want to roster right now? I guess just for simplicity's sake, give me the guy that's running the most routes out of the slot, which is Richie James. I think he had close to the 79, 79-ish percent slot rate just this past week. I don't want to trust anybody else other than the guy that's probably just going to catch a short pass and fall down. Yeah, I think I saw right before we came on that Kadarius Tony is back at practice. So everybody that's holding out hope for Kadarius Tony, maybe, we'll maybe yeah. there's still a chance. But yeah, that is a, those are long shots now, Wando Robinson and Kadarius Tony. Uh, outside of Amonra St. Brown, which Lions wide receiver will score the most fantasy points rest of the season? Uh, rest of the season, I'm, I'm hoping it's DJ Chark because we're just seeing more of uh, the downfield throws like for Jared Goff and him being a bit more aggressive. So I'll, I'll, I'll lean Chark, but I could be talked into any of the other guys because Josh Reynolds like running out of the slot and something like that. So either one of those two for me. Bit of a trick question there, too, because Jameson Williams is going to come back at some point. So we'll see uh-huh. if he can provide anything in the second half of the season. Might be tough when you had a, an ACL tear earlier this year, but we'll see kind of like Odell Beckham if he can give them something down the stretch. Uh, who's your favorite bench stash at the moment? Jameson Williams. Like that is the guy that that's that is exactly what I was thinking about when I saw the question, because if we are seeing more Jared Goff 2022 being Jared Goff uh, from like, let's say the 2018, 2019 timeframe when he was ripping balls down the field to Brandon Cooks when he was still in LA. Uh, Jameson Williams, like while the injury concern is definitely there, we'll see what he looks like coming back. But I do think Jameson Williams is probably my favorite bench stats at this point. Yeah. And whether it's Damian Williams, who we talked about earlier on the Falcons or Jameis Williams, it's always nice when you can grab that guy off the waiver wire and just throw him in your IR spot. And then you get to grab somebody else as well. You get a two for one there. Mm-hmm. With Jahan Dotson out, who do you have this week? Terry McLaurin or Curtis Samuel? If necessity is the mother of all invention, then Terry, like with uh, Dotson being out, getting Terry more involved in the slot, shorter layup targets for Carson Wentz, that has to be a thing. It has to be on Ron Rivera's mind. So I'll go Terry. And I don't think it's going to keep him out, but Curtis Samuel is uh, sick to begin the week. He has a, an illness. So normally guys are still able to play with that, but that could be another reason why we lean Terry there. Mm-hmm. If Rashad Bateman can't go, I already know you can't trust Devin DuVernay. So we're just going to skip that question entirely. Uh-huh. And the last question here, we always end with this last question. It's a classic on our show. We've asked you before in, in different versions of it when you've been on, which player is being overlooked heading into week five? Teddy Bridgewater. If we looked at just the way that the uh, the Miami's offense like looked like last week after Tua Tungabailoa went down, it looked similar. I mean, Tyreek Hill like literally saying like on camera afterwards that I mean he could make any reporter that was asking questions about uh, about Teddy Bridgewater or not having Tua, he can make them look good, make a reporter look good, and put up numbers with them like <laughs> under center. So if Teddy is has the full week of practice to plan. I mean, they are going up against the Jets, if I remember correctly, this weekend. So yep. it's like, you know, it'd be maybe Tyreek versus Sauce, but then who's covering Jalen Waddle? I mean, that sort of thing. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater has been capable of running like a similar system that Mike McDaniel has uh, set up in the past. So, yeah, I think 
the quarterback situation in Miami is going like an overlooked like for streaming purposes in week five. Yeah, definitely impressed with Mike McDaniel so far. I, I like that system that they're running. I think he's helping out his players quite a bit there too. Uh, all right, that's all for today's show. Once again, go follow Chris over on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Check out all his content across all those different sites in the fantasy industry. It is always a great conversation whenever you're on the show, man. I'm really glad that you've been able to join us now for, I don't know what it is, the last three years, the last four years, whatever it is. I hope we keep that tradition going. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Good luck the rest of the season. And is there anything that you're working on that you actually want to highlight here? I'll, I'll give the floor to you. If there's anything that you want to let people know about, go ahead. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, of course, like the big, uh, the two big additions like to my work or my content creation schedule this year uh, is uh, Yahoo and Fantasy Life. Uh, so Yahoo is allowing me to uh, write up the Thursday night preview. So if you get a chance, uh, if you're in your Yahoo leagues and you see those like notifications pop up with all the analyst writing stuff, my name will pop up. So if you have a chance, go ahead and check that out. I do the Thursday night preview each week. So, of course, I, I did write the preview for the Denver-Indianapolis game we've got coming up tomorrow. So check that out. But then also, of course, Fantasy Life and being able to work with uh, Matthew Barry, uh, Jordan Feigelman, Elliot Chris, and the rest of the team over there, like one of like the biggest names, again, in the industry, uh, write their premier matchups column over on the, the Fantasy Life newsletter each week. Drops on Wednesday. So my piece actually came out today talking about uh, the Pittsburgh game in Buffalo. So I actually had a chance to do some research on one Kenny Pickett. So, I mean, if you do have a chance to check out either of those pieces on a weekly basis, I would greatly appreciate that and any feedback that might come with it. Awesome. Definitely check that out. As for us, uh, if you want to ask me a question live, you can come join me on Twitter Spaces Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We've been doing that every week. We're going to keep doing that every week. I'll be answering questions for a half hour or so. However long I can fit into my schedule, I will stay there and try to answer as many questions as possible. And then I'll be back Friday afternoon with the latest injury news heading into week five. But until then, big thanks again to Chris. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight I said leave on time